Hey, everybody. I hope you guys are having a terrific day. My name is Sean Pitcher. I'm your host of the Roots Podcast. Today we have on Ross Shumway. He is the football dietitian at UCLA coming out of Cali. Uh, welcome, Ross. Great to have you on today. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. Um, so one of the reasons I want to bring on Ross is, is he's he's a newer dietitian in the field, um, has a lot of promise, very intelligent, smart guy, very knowledgeable. Uh, I think some of that comes from one of the questions that we're going to discuss later in the podcast. Um, but before we start anything, Ross, who are you behind the credentials, the name, the title? Um, so I uh, give you my background. I originally grew up in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, was a lacrosse player in high school, um, was thinking about becoming an athletic trainer uh, in college and doing a um, master's program in athletic training and uh, undergrad in exercise science. Had the opportunity to move out to Orange County, California to play lacrosse out at a small school called Chapman University. And while I was there in my sophomore year, I actually got uh, gastritis. Um, so it was really kind of a situation where I was really struggling to eat any kind of food and, and very reactive to a bunch of different things and had to clean up my diet quite a lot um, to, you know, be able to live daily life and make it to classes and, and things like that. And so after I kind of cleaned up my diet, and fix all my symptoms and all those kinds of things, I, I kind of realized that there was a big impact in how I was playing on the field and, and my performance with lacrosse. And so I kind of had that epiphany moment where I was like, I didn't necessarily like feel bad prior to having to clean up my diet, but I didn't realize I could feel this much better while I was playing and, and doing those kinds of things. And so I was kind of that epiphany moment where I was like, how many other athletes are currently doing that thing as well, where they don't realize how much better their performance could be if they fix their diet. So it kind of was how I saw nutrition as like that X factor kind of thing. Um, really the big thing that um, got me started and kind of what made me who I am in, in progressing in the field and things like that was my first internship that I had with the Los Angeles Rams uh, back in 2017. And I had two really good uh, mentors up there, Joey Blake and Anthony Zamora. Um, and it was a situation where I really kind of learned the definition of, you know, work ethic and attention to detail and, you know, grit, really. Um, because when I first started out with them, I was only there um, working on Tuesdays and Thursdays during the uh, off-season workout period. But I was getting up, you know, being in Orange County geographically, um, the Rams practice facility is kind of on the other side of LA from where I'm at. It's about 80 miles away. So I was getting up at about, you know, three 30 in the morning to drive 80 miles to their practice facility and stock fridges, make smoothies, you know, do the kind of grunt work that we all kind of did coming along, um, for about 12 hours a day and then driving back another 80 miles back home to then go to classes the next day. So it was really something where, it kind of set the tone for me, I would say, as far as, you know, what's kind of required in this field just to get your foot in the door and that kind of mentality and that um, work ethic and, and those kinds of things is what I kind of utilize to build upon that opportunity and get the rest of the opportunities that I've had and, and been fortunate with in, um, in my career so far. Yeah, I touched on a couple of those points. I had a very similar experience like when I was younger. 
I was, I was an overweight kid, right? My, my mother ended up bringing me to the doctor and, you know, they did some blood work and he pretty much pulled a scare tactic on me. <laughs> he said, he's like, Hey, if you know, you're 13, 14 years old, like your lipid levels and these levels are, are, are pretty abnormal for someone your age. Like if, if you continue on this trend, the way you're eating, like you're going to have some significant health issues, like as you get older. And, you know, with, with my family background, my mother's side, Everyone on my mom's side has either passed from cancer or everyone on um, her dad's side has passed from heart disease. Or I have the other fortunate side on my dad's side where everyone lives to like 90 to 100 years old. So uh, it's kind of a split decision. We'll see what happens at the end of the day. But when I was in that moment, right, like the doctor's like, you need to do something. That's kind of where like the, the light bulb in me switched. And I was like, I have to figure out, I don't know anything about nutrition, but I'll try to figure out and talk to as many people as I can. Um, try to take classes, try to find more information on the internet. And luckily at that stage, I had a mentor in high school where she took, she taught cooking classes. She taught nutrition classes. Her diet or her daughter was a dietitian in Boston. Funny enough connection there. Um, and that's what kind of got me in the door to, to know that like nutrition pl- was going to play a big deal. And me changing that did help my overall health and put me in a better trajectory to kind of where I am now. Um, and I really like what you said there about obviously your, your kind of initial stages with, with the Rams. Um, obviously there's obviously a lot of people out here that are still taking that route or have had to take that route because that's the only opportunity available. But on the other side of the coin, we obviously have people still that are coming out of college and thinking they're going to get a hundred thousand dollar job right off from the jump. So I, I really like that you said that up front. you know, there's going to be some sacrifices. I feel like you're going to have to take in the beginning whether you like them or not, whether it's fun or not, whether it's going to be affordable for you or not. Um, but as you've shown, and I have, we've talked on multiple different occasions, that's obviously what got your foot in the door into several different places. Yeah, it's one of those things where like, you know, being, and and I should backtrack a little too, like just to let everybody know that um, I was on the CPSDA student committee for two years. And so I talked with a lot of undergraduate dietetic students, a lot of master's dietetic students, a lot of dietetic interns are trying to break into the field and do all those kinds of things. Um, and I think with the field shifting to the requirement for a master's degree now, um, there there used to be kind of two paths to get to where I am and where you are right now. And, and one was either you take what I would call the unorthodox path, which is what I did, where you really spend majority of your time working and trying to gather and you know accrue intern experiences and and work experiences and things like that for the resume while you're just getting the bare level rd certification out of the way and then the other is you know you do your dietetics undergrad you do your master's degree in nutrition then you do your dietetic internship and then you get your rd and now you kind of try and jump into the field with without that you know experience and so both of them kind of have those positives and negatives, but, you know, with mine, it, it was really always learning. Like what, what I learned at the Rams really was the big thing of like, if you aren't able to do the bare minimum things, do the intangibles, right? Like for starters, if you can't get up at four o'clock in the morning for nine months straight, it doesn't matter what you know in nutrition, because you're not going to be able to stick around in these kinds of settings and earn the respect from the athletes that you need to earn the respect from to actually get them to follow, you know, a lot of the things that you're trying to trying to implement with them. 
or or if you can't talk to a coach or you can't talk to a support staff or communicate right and and this is and yeah. and, I, and I was just on a panel with uh Anthony Paradis, Jenna Heitmeyer, Katie Best. Um we did it for um Georgia State and Emory um dietetic internship, you know, for those those individuals that are kind of coming up through the field. And I will I will tell you this much, all four of us gave them a very real idea of what sports nutrition looks like in the field. Um, and I know, I'm sure, you know, some of those individuals as well. Um, there's no sugar coating there and they just, we just gave it to them how it was. But at the end of the day, I think we need to be real and honest and give them what the job looks like. And again, it's going to look like different things at different places, depending on the environment and, you know, the support and, and the, and the people that you're working with there and some places going to be awesome and some places just, it's not going to be great, but <laughs> that's, that's some of the things that you're going to have to deal with and figure out in those situations. And a lot of times school isn't always going to set you up for success for those because some of those skills aren't taught until you're in the field. Yeah. It's one of those things that I'm grateful for, you know, obviously I'm, I'm going to always advocate for my route and, and be grateful for the path that I took, but it's one of those things that I've kind of seen um, where when I talk to people coming up in the field, I always give them, you know, like you said, the, the, brutal honesty of the profession and what it is and what it entails and what you can expect and timelines and things like that. Because I think a lot of times I've seen a lot of people come up in the field and they get to a point where they are now in their first full-time position. And they're like, you know, shoot, this really isn't what I thought it was going to be, but now I'm knee deep in this profession. And I'm six years of student debt in to a career and, you know, what am I going to do at this point kind of thing? How am I going to make this work? And I think, I think the thing that I always try and be real about with anyone that I'm talking to as well is, you know, a lot of times with the orthodox path of getting to, you know, a sports dietitian role, you never end up fully getting that immersion in the profession or in a, in a role until you have your RD and you're accepting that first full-time role. So it's like, if you are an undergrad dietetic student, then you move to a master's program, then you move through your DI, then you get your RD. You're never able to fully give 80, 90 hours a week for, you know, a position because you've got classes and things like that. So you might go, you know, and I have student workers now that do this, but you might go, you know, 20 hours a week in your undergrad, just working, getting exposed to sports nutrition, doing all those things, which is great. Then the master's degree, you only go, you know, a month or two at a time, or it depends how your program is structured, but you're never fully immersed. And then you finally get that first full-time role. And let's say it's, it's like, like mine with football. Wham. <laughs> yeah. It's like, let's say it's like mine with football and it's like, okay. So from August 4th to, you know, um, the first week of January, you're going to be going 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. seven days a week. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I've I've never done this before. I've actually never been tested like this with those aspects. And then you kind of start to have a little bit of a, I think, a little bit of a panic if that's not what you signed up for. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you said obviously 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. Do you feel, obviously, during the season, there's some necessity there where you, you have to be there to a certain extent, but do you feel, regardless of the sport, that dietitians need to be there that long every single day? Or no. 
do you feel it's dependent on the season or just, it doesn't matter in general? I think it's, I think I can only speak about football, um, you know, in past experience with other sports and things like that um, through my internships and through my experiences. Right. So for example, like football is a morning sport, right? So we get into the building very early, you know, things start rolling at about 6 AM for us. And with our program, we really prioritize sleep and recovery and all those different kinds of things. So like we want our guys to, you know, get a good night's sleep and things like that. And that's why our, you know, our daily schedule is structured the way it is. That being said, most programs have a 6 a.m. workout that starts at 550 or whatever it is you're on the field, right? So re- realistically, you're setting things up and making sure that pre-practice, you know, pre-conditioning, nutrition and everything like that is out and set up by, you know, about 530. So you're in the building by 430, to get everything ready, right? Um, that's just the nature of the schedule, right? Basketball, for example, they play a lot of night games and it's a consistent schedule and it, and it rotates all the time. And so, you know, with college or professional basketball, sometimes you're not in the building until 11 AM in the morning because you were, you know, working until one o'clock last night kind of thing. Um, Like I know, you know, a couple of the NBA teams kind of structure like that where they don't start practice till like one o'clock in the afternoon because they just played a game last night and it went until, you know, midnight basically. And the guys didn't get home till 1am. So it's really kind of, I would say, first of all, the difference with the sports is the schedule of it. And then the true requirements of of what you need to be doing while you're in the building. For myself, I was kind of there for that period of time in season that long last year, just because there was a lot that needed to get done and a lot of program building that needed to occur. Um, But I would say for the most part, that's only an in-season thing right now. Um, and it's really dependent on the programs too. Like, you know, I wanted to be there as much as I could. And I was during the summer when I first came on last year, as much as I could, just because you need to get those touch points with the athletes, with the coaches, you need to kind of build that rapport. But at this point, this off season, this is the first opportunity I've had to kind of take a little bit of a step back. There's a lot of things that are now automated and they're running for themselves. Or, you know, I have student workers or interns that are kind of, completing different tasks that I used to be completing, you know, and those kinds of things. So it's a little bit easier to take a step back and know that the machine is still going to run without you directly at the helm 24 seven. And that's the goal eventually is, you know, when you come into a new program, it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah. Can I be in a position where I can have enough staff to delegate responsibilities and no one's going to be above any responsibilities, right? Like, I still stock stuff. I'm sure there's still stuff once in a while. You have to stock stuff, right? Like there's still basic things you have to do and you're never going to be above those things. But the more people we can have in place to try to do some of the things that do take up a lot of our time so we can focus on more higher level details for the program and the athletes and the players, then hopefully we'll be able to put out a better long-term product and be able to offer more services over time. But, um, and that's what I wanted to kind of, you know, for sure definitely get into is, you know, UCLA historically didn't have a dietitian on staff, you know, walking into that environment, like what were your, I know you mentioned a couple there, what were your like steps to tackling a position where maybe the staff members or people didn't usually work with a dietitian 
but now they have somebody and like, how did, how are you able to show value and present yourself in that way? I think the big thing that I got lucky with to begin with was because I'd been an intern on the Olympic side at UCLA back in 2019, I kind of knew what I was getting into coming in. Like I'd kind of heard stories about what was going on with football. You'd read some articles from the LA times about, you know, how much they're spending and how much of a disaster it was and all those different kinds of things. And then on top of that, because it had taken them so long compared to the rest of the field to hire a dietitian for football, um, there was a lot of excitement around my hire. So, you know, the athletic trainers were immediately like, yeah, this is great. We were very happy to finally have a football dietitian on board. Like, this is awesome. And a lot of the coaches, you know, that had come from other programs that had a football dietitian we're now excited to finally have one team physician excited to finally have one, all those different kinds of things. So I could kind of use that excitement to get the ball rolling and, and do a lot of things that, you know, I needed to do. I would say the first things coming in was really just doing a full needs assessment on, you know, what are the most important things going on right now? What are, what are things that are, you know, don't need to be addressed or touched right now for the time being, what's the, what's going to make the highest impact with, you know, the entire team versus just one or two guys. And how can we facilitate those things as quickly as possible, just so that we're up and running. And so the way that I kind of looked at it was I came on in May camp starts in August. That's my timeline. If I can get, you know, things up and running and operational to the point that, you know, we're getting some sort of nutritional support for these guys by August. And we're, we have a majority of our bases 20% covered, then we're in a good spot and we can continue to grow it and build it as we go along. Um, so that was kind of the big things, you know, for example, the food service there, the food's good. They serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day. So that's not something that necessarily needs to be addressed. It's, it was more aspects with, you know, staffing, counseling, fueling station, getting it up and running, you know, all those different kinds of things that a lot of people I think don't really think about because when you come into a facility on a daily basis, it's like the cup dispenser is there on the wall. You know, the snack cart is there. The relationships with the vendors have already been established. All those different kinds of things were more of the priorities that needed to get done from those standpoints. And then being able to counsel guys and get them educated to get to a point that they needed to get to with a very short window of, you know, three months. It's like, we got summer conditioning, summer training, and that's it. We're in camp. So if we got to move you body comp wise pretty quickly, we got to do it right now kind of thing. So what were, what were probably some of the quickest changes that you saw after some of these initial things that you were able to implement into the program? Like whether it was, body comp, whether it was guys have more energy, whether it was you worked with the sports medicine staff and you were able to see less injuries, like just to give like the audience and the people an understanding, like how you just being there a year probably made an impact on the results of the players. Obviously, I know you guys had a really great season, so that's obviously probably one factor amongst many factors that helped out. Yeah, I would say, um, on the back end, the the number one thing that sticks out above anything was we had three soft, soft tissue injuries for the entire season. So that's amazing. <laughs> from training camp, from when training camp started on August 4th to the end of the season, we only had three soft tissue injuries for the entire season. We had 
um, we had one Achilles, which was contact. We had one ACL, which was contact and two foot, two, two foot, you know, broken foots, both from being stepped on. Um, so, you know, in a large scale grand scheme of things, that's probably about as good as you can get it. You know, really having three guys pull a hamstring or a hip flexor or a quad or a groin or something like that, a running muscle, right. Um, from strictly just running. We had off the top of my head, probably seven to 10 guys play a full season that had never played a full season before Mm -hmm. um, that were four or five year starters for us. They'd always had an injury that had held them out for, you know, four or five games kind of thing. And plenty of guys that were kind of known as like, these are guys that are, you know, prone to soft tissue injuries. Like we're going to get, you know, as much as we can get out of them. And if we get four games out of them, that's fantastic. That's more than you can ask for guys like that playing the full season. Um, Which is a game changer, to... Especially if they're starters or they're, or yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think that was like really a big thing for us that, that really kind of was an X factor was we really maintained our starting group holistically throughout the whole season. You know, it was only, Maybe we had one to two guys per game out of our starters that, you know, had to sit. And that was about it. You know, our whole defense would start, started just about every single game. I don't think there was anyone that really had to miss any significant amount of time. And then same thing with the offense. We had maybe one or two guys that were, that would rotate in that, you know, would have to sit a game because they twisted their ankle or something like that. But they were all, you know, football contact injuries that, we're only holding them out maybe a week tops kind of thing. Um, and that definitely is a huge factor. And I think what really put it into perspective for me was um, we had um, one of the NFL teams come and visit because they use our practice field because it's right across the street from a hotel. So we had one of the NFL teams come and visit and we were talking with their strength staff and one of their strength coaches had you know, done a one-year stint at a group of five school a couple of years ago where they didn't have a dietitian, they didn't have a nutrition program, they had nothing. And so it was really like strength coach led nutrition. And so he's kind of like, you know, we're getting in at 5 a.m., we're making the smoothies, we're doing the post-workout snacks, we're doing X, Y, and Z, yada, yada, yada. We're doing everything, basically. It's kind of the way that he put it. And he goes, they had, he, he told me how many soft tissue injuries they had during training camp alone. And it was 22. And I was, and he was just like, guys are dropping left and right, like flies. And it, it kind of blew my mind. Cause I didn't even realize that that was like, it could be that in that severe, like there could be that many soft tissue injuries in a one month period yeah. when you're, you know, in training camp. And I think a lot of it's credit to, for us, a lot of it's credit to Chip and how he structures the schedule, like the daily schedule. Um, but then also a lot of it, I, I, you know, would credit myself and the strength staff for kind of prepping the guys to be able to handle the volume and the load that they're seeing in season and really taking care of themselves the way that they need to, to kind of prevent those preventable injuries. Yeah, I think that gets, I know more and more people are integrating athlete management systems, sports science, sports science, obviously taking a, a better look at load management for, you know, we, we currently use Connexon and I know a lot of basketball, NBA and college settings are currently using that, but 
I mean, we're looking at that daily, weekly. We've got the coaches integrated to looking at that, like knowing, you know, what's a low, medium, high exposure, right? Like, what does a game look like? Are we not getting enough exposure to the tissue of the person's body, which is causing them, like, in our sense, for the person to cramp, right? Because right. we, we could get blamed for cramping and, you know, we're doing everything to provide and and recommend educate them on strategies for cramping but if they're not getting the exposure during the week that they're going to be placed on them in a game well <laughs> that comes down to proper programming of your practices so to have a coach like your yours and i know more coaches are getting that way i know it's still some of the challenges there are getting the coaches to buy into some of that technology and and looking at some of those numbers and being open to knowing that this does play a factor and it's going to reduce injuries and keep your guys in the field definitely is a, is a tough challenge to try to get across to some individuals, but hopefully <laughs> a few coaches here, a few coaches there will eventually get to that point. Yeah. I think, I think that's definitely like a huge benefit in working for chip is he really prioritizes a lot of those things because he gets it. Like at the end of the day, he understands like, mm. yeah, it doesn't matter if this kid's like a four or five star, he can run, you know, you know, a really great 40 yard dash. And, you know, he's got great separation on the edge. And, you know, when he's there, because he's not going to be playing, he's going to be standing on the sidelines because he tweaked his calf or something like that. And so it doesn't make any sense for us to worry about all these things when this kid's literally not available to play. And so that's one of the big things that I think I'm definitely really grateful for with that is, you know, his buy-in to not just nutrition, but, you know, buy into the sports science side of things, um, buy into the athlete management aspects of all these different things. Um, with the athlete management system that we utilize, I'm able to, you know, take a pre, like a pre and post practice body weight. So morning weight and a post practice weight and generate specific hydration recommendations based on the guy's actual sweat loss for that specific practice for that day and generate you know, hydration recommendations that get sent out to all the coaches and then it ends up on the player's phones in an app that they have. And so, you know, in season, especially during camp and then, you know, throughout the rest of the season, the first thing that the coaches do in their afternoon meetings is they take that hydration recommendation for their position group and they stick it on their whiteboard and they just make the guys sit there and look at it. And some of the position coaches will literally like go to the mini fridge and it's like, all right, it said you need to drink four water bottles and three drip drops here you go. You're not able to leave this room until you finish all four of these water bottles and all three of these drip drops. Like I'm going to sit here and watch you do it because I know that this is going to keep you on the field come Saturday. And that's one of those things is with chip and with, with our coaching staff, the buy-in that we've gotten there, you know, the big like result, the big accomplishment of that would be the first game we played this season against Bowling Green. Um, it was the hottest game in Rose Bowl history. It's like 105, 106 degrees on field temp, zero wind, just pure sun beating down on everybody. And we didn't have a single guy cramp on the field. And Bowling Green, who doesn't have, you know, sports nutrition staff at all, I think they had about 15 cramps come like the third and fourth quarter of the game. Uh, it was kind of, it was kind of crazy where it was just, you know, like there's about one guy was going out of the brain, another guy in. <laughs> Yeah, it was like it was like there was three stoppages every single drive from like the third and fourth quarter. Like they had to stop the game, you know, three times a drive because Bowling Green lost a player and they got to get him off the field and stuff like that kind of thing. Um, 
So it was one of those things where that kind of immediately showed the buy-in with what I was trying to do and implement with these guys because our guys were properly hydrated. They're properly prepared from a, you know, neuromuscular standpoint, from a hydration standpoint, going into a, you know, game like that, where most of these kids really hadn't, had never played in that kind of heat before. Mm-hmm. And I think the benefit there is, is giving the athlete real time feedback, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, and then obviously not only are you pushing it, but the coaches are pushing it. And it's like, it then becomes a situation where the athlete can't say they didn't know, they, they didn't, couldn't do it, or they weren't aware like that was what's going to help make the change to keep them on the field. Like there's no, there's no BS in like the numbers are the numbers, you know, right. I, I've started to do that with, you know, our body comp, our weights, uh, meal compliance, supplement compliance, right. You know, you have a guy that says, Oh, I want to keep, I want to put 10 pounds on. Right. Because let's say you're a guard and the NBA average right now for a guard is 190 to 195. Okay. Well, your meal compliance is 20%. You don't take your supplements. Um, you, you don't ask me any, anything to try to get better from a nutrition standpoint. You don't show up to the, so, I mean, you, you go over what I do and I could, you know, go to all the other different interdisciplinary staff that I work with, and you're probably going to see some type of negative or effect, whether it's an injury, whether their strength numbers are going down, like it's not only going to happen in one specific section, it's probably going to carry to multiple different places. And it's like, when you can just cross correlate that and visually show them in a quick and easy format whether it's colors or whether it's a graph that's going up and down or whatever it is it makes it much easier to get your point across and it's like well what are you going to tell me it's it's really on you you got to have to make the change to want to get to this goal because clearly right now from what we're showing you that's not happening and it's not hurting me it's on you (laughs) so then it takes a lot of onus on you and you're trying to put the ownership back on them like you need to take your body's your business you need to take charge of that and invest in it if you want to have a long career or you even just want to play consistently today or this year so yeah yeah 100 percent um one of the things that i thought was you know we've talked about this multiple times is your ability to when you first got there to obviously you said in the very beginning you know they're spending a ton of money on stuff that may may not have been spent on you know, where did you kind of get the information and tactics to be able to have the resources on how to make your space more efficient, but then also be able to save at the same time where you're, but you're still able to give the same quality, the same food and the same things the athletes need, but not overspend on them, but then maybe use other resources or, or food companies to be able to supplement what you already have. I mean, it's the, the best, way to sum it up is really the program that I'm building here is an amalgamation of all of my internship experiences combined right mm-hmm. and a lot of it has to do with strictly just seeing other programs and how other people run their sports nutrition department their football nutrition program all those different kinds of things you know when I when we travel I try I reach out to every single dietitian for the opposing team and, and try and see, Hey, can I come check out your facility? Or when they come here, it's tough because the Rose Bowl is in Pasadena and we're in Westwood. So it's about like an hour, hour and a half drive with traffic sometimes, but I always invite them to come by and, and check out the facility and stuff like that, because you'll, you'll see things that you've never seen before. You'll see ways that things have been done that you've never seen them done before. Um, and 
the only thing that it has is value for you, right? Value for the program. And so at the end of the day, what I was lucky with was we were spending a lot of money on a lot of things that I didn't necessarily feel were the most efficient ways of doing certain protocols, certain practices, certain ways of doing things. And we, you know, didn't have a couple of things that, you know, we could utilize. And so, for example, um, you know, I'll give you a good example. One of them is we spent a lot of money on cherry bundy, right? Um, a lot of money on cherry juice. We constantly had it stocked in the fridge and, and all those kinds of things. And, and something that was a big takeaway that I had from working at Nebraska with Dave Ellis was he really emphasized the, you know, don't overcomplicate a lot of these things and don't ever um, not take into account or, or I'm struggling to think of the correct word to say this, but don't, don't ever um, try to, you know, overcompensate the body's natural ability for adaptation, right? You need inflammation. You need these stressors for the body to be able to adapt to it. And so for me, one of those big things was, why are we supplementing with cherry juice all year long? If it's supposed to be an antioxidant, it's supposed to, you know, combat muscle soreness and inflammation and all those different kinds of things. In the off season, we need that inflammation. We need those we need that muscle soreness. We need that adaptation to the stimulus that we're having in the weight room. So do we really need to be spending the money on constantly having cherry juice stocked in the fridge or can we only put it in at key times throughout the year? Like when we, you know, play a Saturday game and then next week we play a Friday night game. And so we have a short week. We don't get a day off on Sunday, those kinds of things. Um, that's definitely where I started. Almost like periodizing when yeah. to, to put certain things in where they're gonna have the biggest bang for your buck for one periodizing it and then two kind of looking at the products that we had and a lot of the things you know a lot of it was at the fueling station so looking at the products that we had and kind of saying like okay you know we have a budget here and we have a budget here that's you know big enough for us to be able to buy some whole food products versus protein bars and i'm able to bring in a staff that can you know, do a majority of the food service to kind of prep these whole foods, fruits and vegetables, different things like that. So do we need to spend all this money with, you know, a company to buy protein bars and energy bars and meal replacement bars and all these kind of like traditional sports nutrition stacks, or can we just buy all these things from Costco and, you know, move away from bars, move towards some whole foods and, and have my, you know, workforce kind of prepare these foods instead. And a lot of it is really just the end of day hard numbers and kind of playing around with it on, you know, Excel and things like that and kind of saying like, all right, if we extrapolate this out for a year, what's that going to look like? And then being able to establish good relationships with our finance department in athletics to kind of say, you know, can I get access to the ledgers for last year? for our weight room, for our fueling station budget, for our student meals budget that we spent with football. And can I dissect them and look through them and, and kind of analyze where did the money actually go? And then do I feel like that's actually like a good place for us to go? So like one of the examples was like our protein powder company. When I first got there, we were sitting on like 1500 or 2000 bars, like protein bars, like in boxes, there was like 60 boxes worth of protein bars, like in our dry storage, same flavor. And we had spent, you know, 
I don't remember exactly how much we had spent, but it was five figures with that company the past year. And I was like, okay, do we really need to spend all this money with this company this next year, considering we have like 60 boxes of protein bars sitting in our dry storage right now? And they don't even want the protein bars anyways. And our they guys really aren't eating them. That's why they're all sitting there. They'd rather so, make them a fresh PB and J. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like just reallocating a lot of that money mm-hmm. elsewhere. And then at the end of the day, utilizing, you know, a lot of the resources that I've seen utilized that other, you know, positions in those. So, you know, reaching out to, you know, guys that I know in the area saying, you know, hey, we're looking for, you know, cheaper options and things like that, doing cost comparisons, really the end of the day, a lot of that food service stuff that you kind of got to get your hands dirty with and do the nitty gritty for, um, because at the end of the day, it's going to be able to provide you enough, you know, free you know, it's going to be able to free up enough capital for you to be able to do a bunch of different things. I mean, the most recent thing that we did about two months ago is completely redid our dry storage so that we have, you know, sliding shelves and we have an actual food prep table, you know, vegetable wash sink, sanitation station, and and moved our industrial dishwashers about, you know, pretty, pretty good amount of money that we were able to free up from, you know, a single budget by just being more efficient with what we we're doing. Exactly. Love it. Love all of it. <laughs> and and that, you know, and I'll kind of end with this because we only have a couple of minutes left, but, uh, you know, obviously your finance department or any athletics department, if you're able to save them some type of money in the long term, that's going to give you a, a big edge into when you get to certain extents where you want need to ask for other stuff because they know they'll, they'll know to they'll know that, OK, well, they need this for a reason. They don't just need this because it's a wish list item. It's like he's shown us that he's been able to save us money before. So probably some of the things he's considering or wants to do is going to continue to save us money long-term and in the future. And that's going to help both parties. So you you want, but then finance is also going to help save on what they need. And maybe they can allocate stuff to other places that they have to as well. Exactly. And you got to be able to, you got to be able to have those conversations too. mm -hmm. That's what I would say. That's the big thing. Yeah. That's super important. But Ross, really appreciate you coming on. Um, where can the viewers reach you at if they want to contact you? Um, you can find me on Twitter. Um, it's actually been a while. It's probably at Ross Shumway, I think, on Twitter. And then um, you can find me on the UCLA website, um, UCLA Athletics website, and then reach me via the email that I have on there um, if you want to reach out and get in touch with me. And if everyone wants to reach me, I'm overtime underscore Sean. All my digital links are on my link tree in my IG bio. Lots of great information there, strength, nutrition, YouTube, and more episodes of the Root Podcast. Um, so if you guys want any of that information, you can go hit it up there. Again, thanks, Ross. Appreciate for having you for coming on. Yep. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. See you.